What if you could be doing something smarter with your money that creates income right now? If you're an IT professional who's wanting to get ahead financially and enjoy greater freedom of choice, and if you wondered who else in tech is creating ways to make their money work for them, and you want actionable ideas with honest pros and cons and no fluff, welcome to the Richer Geek Podcast. We're helping IT professionals find creative ways to build wealth and financial freedom. I'm your host, Nicole Stoller, and in this podcast, you'll hear from others who are already doing these things and learn how you can too. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Richer Geek Podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing a more technical topic, entity structures. Well, it's not always the most dynamic conversation. Just like taxes, understanding entities and options is a key component for real estate investors, if you own a franchise, if you're starting a side business, etc. Today's guest, Michael Brady, is Executive Vice President of Madison 1031, which is a national qualified intermediary for tax-deferred exchanges. So this is basically the 1031 exchange. But Michael also has over 25 years of experience representing clients in commercial and residential real estate transactions, as well as a wide variety of business transactions. So he is a very experienced person to talk about entity structures in today's show. Let's head on over. Michael, it is great to have you on the show today. Yes, thank you, Nicole. Thank you for having me on. Will you share with our listeners a little bit about your background before we get into today's content? Sure. So uh, my name is Mike Brady. I'm an attorney. Uh, I've been practicing law for, it's scary, but over 26 years now, predominantly doing business transactions and specifically real estate and and, uh, commercial and residential real estate transactions as well. I currently serve as executive vice president for a qualified intermediary company for 1031 exchanges called Madison Exchange. Uh, but I still do some transactions as well uh, for clients here and there. And I'm excited to have you on the show today because we want to talk about entity structure. And it's not always the most exciting topic, but it is a necessary, it's kind of like talking about insurance, right? So it is a necessary discussion when we're talking about real estate specifically. So tell us a little bit about why setting up an entity structure is critical. Even if you just, let me just give you a scenario. Let's say you had a house that you lived in with your family. Then you decided to buy another house and you said, you know what, let's just keep this house and rent it out. It'll be a nice income stream for us. Tell us a little bit about why you would want to put an entity structure around that. Okay. So there are pros and cons in that specific scenario to using an entity structure. And one of the big cons that you would have is that once you put that property into an entity, you're going to lose the ability to use a primary residence exclusion for it, right? So under section 121 of the tax code, if you're selling a primary residence that you've lived in and owned two of the last five years, you can exclude up to $250,000 of gain as a single person and $500,000 as a married couple filing jointly. You lose that ability if you put the property into an entity. So in your scenario, let's assume, let's say we lived there 10 years. Then, like you said, we found another property. We decided we were going to move into the new property and we're going to rent out our old property. And let's say we rent it out for two years. Okay, so we've lived in it for 10. We lived in it for two. Now the market all of a sudden gets uh, very strong. We decide to sell that property. Well, in that scenario, we could take advantage of two sections of the tax code. We could, number one, uh, and probably most importantly, exclude it 
you know, up to $500,000 of our capital gain because we've lived there two out of the last five years, right? And if the property was still in our name, we could also do a 1031 exchange to the extent that there was any excess gain because it's most recently been a rental property. Um, but we would lose that ability to take that exclusion if we decided to put the property into an entity. Okay, so we have to be careful there. But let's assume, you know, the scenario that you're talking about is we're going to keep this property and we're going to rent it for a long period of time. We're never going to be able to take advantage of that $500,000 exclusion because we're going to hold the property as a rental for 10 years, let's say. Uh, in that case, you probably want to look to get the property out of your own name. And there's a couple of reasons why. The, the main reason is liability. Okay, because you have a tenant, the tenant moves into the property. Um, the tenant has guests, the guests come over, uh, and they're, you know, you, uh, you're in Arizona, I'm in New York, so it's a little bit different, but they're coming to the house and it's February in New York and they slip on the sidewalk and they fall down. They're hurt bad. And so they're going to be looking for compensation for their injuries. So they may start a lawsuit and they're going to sue you for that. So now, by and large, hopefully, you know, uh, your homeowner's insurance would cover that situation, so it shouldn't be too much of a liability. But if there was some gap in coverage, they could pursue your personal assets, okay, beyond the rental property. So, you know, you may have exposure beyond what the value of the apartment, is, uh, the house is, and it may go to your other assets. So that's why you typically recommend that you get the property out of your own name. Um, some of the things that have happened in many markets not so much on the West Coast, but lead-based paint was a huge, uh, a huge issue in many rental properties, particularly in the New York City area. So lead-based paint was a very durable paint that was used up until, I think, 1978 in New York City, and then it was outlawed. But it's still there behind the coats of paint in many, many buildings. And the problem is that if it's ingested, if lead is ingested, it could lead to learning disabilities, particularly in children. Uh, and apparently, from what I've been told, lead-based paint also tastes very sweet. So you have that combination. So if the paint was peeling, you know, children could eat it because it was sweet and could, as a result, might have had learning disabilities. Likewise, if any work was done on the property, if you went in and you decided to sand the walls, well, now you put lead-based paint into the air. Right? And often this was the case that it would be on door jams and things that you would actually sand, not so much the walls. And so there was a lot of litigation about those, those issues with lead-based paint. And so if you own that property personally, you'd be on the hook for those lawsuits, you know, potentially beyond your insurance coverage. So that's the major reason you want to get a property out of your own name. Basically, it's recommended amongst real estate attorneys and then business attorneys that you want to have a bucket for each property that you own. So each property should be in a different entity to kind of isolate them from exposure to the others. And that, that's really why we look at entity structure. And, you know, it's a great point when you talked about the example I gave was probably not the best example because there are implications and considerations because it was a primary residence you talked sure. about. And if we flipped it and said, okay, you were from the get-go going to buy a property specifically to have as a rental property, then there isn't any question. You would 100% want to put it in an LLC for those reasons that you just described, just for protection purposes. There might be, are there tax implications or not so much? Well, it depends, you know, so um, there, there really should not be. Although, 
typically if you're going to have an entity, you know, it's important you want to maintain it as a business. And I think that's kind of a psychological reason to put a, a property in an entity because, you know, a lot of the liability stuff I, I talked about, you can kind of take care of with an insurance, quite frankly. But you kind of want to operate these properties as a business, right? And so to the extent that you're creating a business, you want to have them in entities. Each entity should have its own books, right? So if you have a property in the ABC LLC, ABC LLC is going to have its own accounting, right? Um, and you'll show profits and losses and all that. And you want to really kind of have a professionalism about the way you manage the property. I think it kind of ensures that the property is run properly, that you keep track of your expenses, you know, all of those things. So that's kind of a psychological reason for doing it. Um, tax wise, the, you know, what we're typically going to see are flow through entities, which means they're not going to have a separate tax existence. So, um, typically people will set their property up and they'll put it into one of two types of entities. It'll be either a limited liability company or typically a corporation. And most corporations you're going to be elected to be taxed under subchapter S of the internal revenue code, which basically means that it's all going to flow through to your individual return anyway. So you won't have a separate layer of taxation like a C corporation. So there's not really that much distinction. It's all going to flow through to your personal tax return anyway. And, you know, there's some things with, um, you know, there's some beneficial tax rates that are available to non-C-Corps now under Section 199A of the tax code, which is part of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. So, you know, other than a C-Corp, you might get some of those same benefits as a C-Corp as a lower tax rate because of these changes to the federal, you know, federal tax code. That's something to talk to your accountant about. But otherwise, there's no reason between putting it into an entity and not for tax purposes, but there are some distinctions between an LLC and an S-Corp that we should talk about. Let's go ahead. Let's talk about what are those uh, key distinctions. Yeah, so uh, I'm old enough, like I said, I've been practicing law for over 26 years. When I first started practicing law, there was no limited liability company statute in the state of New York. Only a handful of states actually had limited liability companies. And so everybody put their property into S-Corps, okay? There's some good parts to that. As I said, they when you have an S corporation, you've elected to kind of be taxed at an individual level rather than a corporate level. So you don't pay double taxation like you know C Corps do. But there are some downsides. Number one, in the city of New York, they, they do not recognize S corporations. And so you would still have to pay double taxation for city taxes. I don't know if that's true elsewhere, but in the city of New York, that, that was one factor. The other factor that became cumbersome is when you ultimately tried to sell the property or, or um, you know, distribute the property through gifts or otherwise, usually distributions, if you want to come out of the corporation to the individual level, that distribution to the individual is a taxable event. You know, you cannot just say, okay, I'm the ABC Corp. Tomorrow, I just want to put the property in my own name. You cannot do that. There's a court, there's a taxation typically from the distribution from the corporation to the individual. There are cases where that might not be the case, but generally that would be the case. So it's hard to get out of, out of the S-Corp. And I forget the exact year. I want to say it was 96 that they, uh, but I might be wrong. In New York, we had passed a limited liability company statute. And the limited liability companies, uh, for most business purposes, kind of became the preferred entity for uh, particularly real estate because they are so much less cumbersome. Okay, the initial statute was was a little bit cumbersome. There was a whole 
you had to go through a bunch of hoops to be taxed as at the individual level rather than at the uh, the corporate level. But they've they've done away with that. They made a check the box essentially. Um, so now LLCs are a true disregarded entity, which means if you set up a limited liability company and you put the property in the limited liability company, uh, you're going to get that entity level tax uh, liability protection, meaning that they will not. If, if somebody, you know, sues because of something that happens at the building, they cannot go after your personal assets outside of the building that the entity is in. So that's, that's great. That's like it, like the S corp. It gives you that great protection, but it's a true flow through entity in that it's disregarded for tax purposes. That entity will not even usually file a tax return if it is a solely owned entity. So that means you you have one person is the member of that entity. So it's disregarded for tax purposes, no separate tax return. You don't have to pay your accountant a fee for filing either a partnership uh, or more importantly, a corporate tax return in that case. So you, there's some savings there, typically not tremendous, but it's a much more simple entity. Everything's going to flow through to your individual return. As opposed to an S corporation, you're going to have to file a corporation tax return every year. Okay. So that's one of the benefits. And if we want to get out of that disregarded entity, there's typically no tax due from that distribution from the LLC to the individual. You know, so that's an LLC is a disregarded entity. So it's a much more, you know, uh, less cumbersome structure. It seems to be the preferred entity because we can go in and out of LLCs. Now, it's a little bit different if we have multiple, you know, members, if we have multiple people in our LLC, right? So we have co-owners of the property. That then it's not going to be a disregarded entity. It's typically going to be taxed as a partnership. Okay, still not the end of the world. You file a partnership tax return. It's federal form 1065, but everything's still going to come down to the individuals. They'll get K-1s and it'll re- flow through to their, their individual return. Not that different from an S-Corp, but again, you will have the flexibility of getting out of that entity and not having to pay taxation by transferring the property from the entity to the individual owners as typically we would do this as tenants in common. And this is pretty useful if we're doing 1031 exchanges in particular, where we might separate, we want to separate. And so we'll go ahead and do something called a drop and swap. And, you know, that's a topic for another day, but it gives us that, that flexibility. We don't have that flexibility with an S corporation. Those are really the advantages of the LLC. With an S corporation, there are some advantages over the limited liability company, typically with other types of businesses. So not so much with real estate, but with if you were operating a restaurant or a hair salon or something else, you might choose an S corporation over a limited liability company for those more active businesses. And the reason is that one of the best things about having a business is being able to take take, uh, expense deductions, right? So people that own businesses are able to write off a lot of their expenses. If you're an employee, you know, especially under the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, you're very limited as to your personal expenses that you can write off against your, your employee you know, W-2 income. If you're a business owner, you can write off things like the cost of your cell phone. You can write off things like um, you know, your automobile expenses that are used for business purposes. And it seems amongst the accounts that I talk to that and you could do this with an LLC or an S-Corp, but it seems amongst the accounts that I talk to, you're far less likely to be audited if you're in an, an S-Corp doing that than if you are an individual. So yes, you should absolutely play by the book and only write off valid business expenses, of course. Um, 
But if you're not doing that, <laughs> or you know, you have other things in your tax return that may be suspect, or you just don't want to be audited, the S corp might be the better entity, for, you know, for those purposes, for the active businesses where you have a lot of expenses to write off. I love that too because you're talking about the auto expense, the cell phone. I know within our businesses, we also do internet access because you know we need all that to to operate. Okay, so tell us, what's the process for setting up either LLC or S-Corp? And I bring this up because, you know, someone might say, well, I just registered with the state and it's like $80 right. and I'm done. Or I can go to LegalZoom. So t- tell us a little bit about the process. Yeah, and, you know, LegalZoom provides, I'm not, I'm not a person that, that is necessarily down on LegalZoom. Many of my, in my profession are not fans of LegalZoom, you know, they, for various reasons, um, but mainly because they, they are somewhat of a competitor. I think you do have to be careful. I think there is a place for legal representation that LegalZoom doesn't fill, but, you know, for setting up an entity, it might be something to look at. One hidden secret is that most attorneys who are setting up entities, they're not using maybe LegalZoom, but they're using a service typically to do it anyway. You know, we, we can certainly do that. We can go and we can file with the state. We can file with, you know, whoever that needs to be filed with. But there are services that expedite the service and do it much quicker than we can. Because usually, like, I live in New York, so the capital of New York is Albany. I'm in downstate New York. I'm on Long Island. You know, uh, I cannot run up to Albany to file, you know, a certificate of incorporation or articles of organization for a limited liability company. You know, it just wouldn't be cost effective. So I use a service to do that. They do all that filing for me. Um, and they're right there and they can do it. They have expedited services. Otherwise, I have to do it by mail overnight. It, it still can get done very quickly, but it's usually more efficient to use a service to do it. It's cheaper for the client and it's cheaper, more time effective for, for me as the attorney. So it's not that different than using LegalZoom anyway. Okay. Uh, but maybe you should, you know, the purpose of having an attorney is that you get to discuss what entity makes sense. Right, whether we should do an S corp or an limited liability company, or maybe we don't want an entity, you know, whatsoever. Maybe in some cases we want to use a C corporation. So you know, that's I think where the attorney really comes in handy. But the process is is somewhat simple. You basically will file an organizing document with. Uh, in New York, it's the Secretary of State. Every state probably has a different name for that entity, but you file with the Secretary of State. And you get back a certificate saying that you're a corporation. Now, before that, I should mention, you also have to check the name, right? So you want to make sure in choosing a name, and this is less of a concern for real estate where names are not necessarily important, but you can obviously not use the same name as a, an existing business. So there, you want to do a name check in advance, and you can usually do that on the Secretary of State's website to see if the name is already being used. You also don't want to use a name that would be confusing because then, you know, especially in the active uh, business, like a restaurant, you know, you could be sued for, you know, copyright infringement and they can make you discontinue using the name if it's confusing. So you want to take a look into that as well. For a real estate project, typically you're going to base your name something related to the address, right? So if you're buying 123 Main Street, you're going to set up the 123 Main Street LLC. Not requirement, but that's typically what you see. Um, it could be something else, but to be unique, that's typically the way it's done. So that process is relatively simple. The setting up is relatively simple. One thing I will mention, if you are in the state of New York, setting up a limited liability company tends to be somewhat more expensive than doing a corporation uh, because we have this kind of antiquated requirement that it's not enough to just file your or- articles of organization. 
you also have to publish in a newspaper notice of your formation. And it's not just one newspaper, it's usually two newspapers, okay? Uh, that you have formed this limited liability company. And so there are these legal ads in the newspaper that nobody ever looks at, but they are expensive. They cost you know several hundred thousand dollars, or if you're unlucky enough to be assigned the New York Times, it could be over a thousand dollars. And it has to be published for six weeks, okay? So this is a really antiquated requirement. It's keeping the newspaper business in, in business, I guess, since nobody advertises in the newspaper anymore. But it's one of the things we have to deal with in New York. Um, I don't know if other states have this. I don't think most of them do. I know Arizona does not. That's something we're kind of burdened with here in New York. So people do often form their entities in other states other than New York. That doesn't always work. Because if you set up an entity outside of a state, you know, so if I set up a Texas LLC or typically Nevada is a very popular state for forming entities, as is uh, Delaware is kind of the granddaddy of forming entities because they have a very uh, management-friendly corporation statute there. Uh, the problem is that if you want to then operate in the state of New York or any other state, you actually have to get authority to do business in that state, which requires a New York State publication. <laughs> of notice. So you don't really get around it. And the downside of not doing it is that if your business ever wants to sue in that state where it's doing business, it has to be authorized to do business there. So if you're a landlord and you set up a Delaware LLC and it owns a building in Manhattan and the tenant doesn't pay the rent, you can't go to court to evict them unless you have authority to do business in the state of New York. So you just some inside baseball there if you're forming entities and want to get around those costs. So that, that's typically the costs that you see. And costs tend to be, you know, the, the formation fees tend to be a couple hundred dollars. Otherwise, if you don't have a publishing requirement and you do have to file periodically and pay those fees, usually biannually. Some states, I think, require annual registration. Uh, but those are some things to look at as well. As you're talking about, there's a lot of nuances. And I think the the lesson that I take away from this is that you would want to talk with someone, talk with an attorney about your situation, your plans, your goals, what you're trying to do with either the business or the real estate property and decide on your entity structure based on that. And it really is worth it because it depends on your overall goals. And that's hard to just get a cookie cutter approach based on, well, I guess I should say, if you're never planning to grow and you're just buying one property, maybe right. not that big of a deal, but it does depend on your end goal. And so I would ask, where can listeners get in touch with you or learn more if they want to have more conversations or, or uh, your thoughts around this? Yeah, sure. I just wanted to get into one other issue, why you might want to use an attorney if we have some time. That's sure. okay. So um, the other part of that, so that's the formation, but then the setup of the actual business, you really want to get your team of advisors involved then. Okay, so number one, uh, that liability protection that I talked about that the corporate or the LLC shield gives you. Well, to be respected, okay, you have to actually abide by certain formalities in running the business. So for a corporation, you're supposed to have annual meetings of shareholders and, and also a board of directors. So you have to you put those documents together. You have to have a board of directors. You have to have, um, you know, minutes of those meetings, things like that. So an attorney will set you up with that. And if you don't do it, it's very, very rare. And I don't want to overstate the risk, 
But if you fail to do that and you got sued and you didn't obey but abide by certain corporate formalities and you did a lot of commingling of like your personal assets with your business, you might lose that shield of liability. They call it piercing the corporate veil. So an attorney can kind of set you straight and make sure that you don't run that risk. Although it is a very minimal risk, very hard to pierce the corporate veil, but it's something to think about. More importantly, if you have partners in your business venture, whether it's real estate or operating a business, and you have multiple people, either shareholders in a corporation or members in a limited liability company, you want to set forth what the terms of your arrangement are, right? So you want to have a formal agreement that says that, you know, what happens if somebody gets sick or they're disabled? and not able to participate in the business? Do they get bought out? Somebody passes away. Do you have the right to buy out the estate? Or are you going to wind up doing business with the spouse of your partner, who may be somebody that you don't want to do business with, or the children, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, how are the profits split? You know, What happens if you can't come to an agreement? Right? If it's a 50-50 split, what's the tiebreaker so that the business can take action? So you want to have a shareholders agreement or an operating agreement that sets forth the terms of your relationship. And you should see an attorney for doing those things as well. So that, that's a really big point in, in using an attorney over just kind of doing it yourself. You can set it up yourself and make sure you go get those internal documents done as well. Great point. Any other thoughts on uh, just, just that initial setup and the structure? Yeah, I would just say also make sure you have an accountant involved also. Very important to have an accountant involved. If you have employees, you have to do a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of hoops you have to jump through. You have to have withholding, you know, uh, tax withholding. Even if you're a sole proprietorship, you still might want to have tax withholding done. You know, so you might want, especially in a corporation, show a salary coming to you as the employee of of the entity. And then you could take, you know, profits as well. Uh, An accountant will walk you through that. You want to set up workers' comp insurance, you know, all that good stuff. Those are important points if you're setting up any kind of business. Yeah, great point. There's a lot of moving pieces. Uh, Speaking from experience, especially on the hotel side. Yeah, absolutely. So, Michael, where can listeners get in touch with you or learn more? Yeah, sure. So, uh, on this side, on the the legal corporate structuring side, um, typically the best place to reach me, I am on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. But also, my email is mbrady at Brady, B-R-A-D-Y, advisor, that's A-D-V-I-S-O-R, dot com. And that's kind of my legal website that I, uh, you know, I, I, I advise businesses on. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of these details with us. I know my head is spinning and I would just <laughs> say, make a phone call. <laughs> so thank you. Okay. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for tuning in to the Richer Geek Podcast. For today's show notes, including links and resources, visit us at therichergeek.com. Don't forget to head over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Help us spread the word by sharing with others who could benefit from listening and leave a rating and review. That'll help us get the podcast in front of more people. I appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening.